response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce, and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. But how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Subscribe to this podcast to learn how the professionals in those industries are contributing towards our collective effort to reach net zero and a more sustainable and prosperous future. Net Zero, a digital journey, a podcast series produced by Content with Purpose in partnership with BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT. Hello and welcome to this episode of Net Zero, a digital journey, a podcast series made by BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT and Content with Purpose. And the series is all about exploring the essential role that IT professions have in addressing the climate crisis and achieving net zero targets. I'm Helen Chersky, your host for the series. We have spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing what could and should be done when it comes to helping the IT sector address the climate crisis. But one of the biggest challenges is that all of this is new. And so you can't just necessarily just put a job description out asking for your ideal worker because quite often they just don't exist yet. We don't have a trained workforce just waiting for someone to press go. And so someone needs to provide that training as we go along. So that's our topic for today, the digital skills and education that are needed to achieve all of these net zero goals and how to attract in the people who we need to do those jobs. And as always, we've got two expert guests to share their insight into these topics. So let's meet our first guest today, Rashik Palmer, who's the BCS CEO. Now, Rashik, we are talking about skills and development. So let's start with you. Could you tell us just briefly how your skills developed along the way and how they got you to the job that you do now as BCS CEO? Yeah, so I, I spent a long time uh, working with clients really on their own IT journey, focused really on how does IT and different forms of technology help them um, transform their business. Um, and, and as part of that journey, as we started to realise the, the carbon footprint, the uh, environmental impact technology is, is a big issue. Um, and, and that's why I've been championing that for some time. And the combination of technology understanding, leading teams and caring about the right kind of outcomes from IT, I think got me into the position I'm I'm in today. What are the issues around attracting new talent into the IT sector, specifically when it comes to climate issues? What what are the other obstacles? What's going on at the moment? I think there's two major obstacles. One is really people don't know what IT's role is in this journey. So how can IT really help society decarbonise and become more sustainable? And for me, there's two primary roles that IT plays. One is being the provider of data information to help businesses understand how their processes, how their activities um, really contribute to the pollution that we have, to the environmental impact that they they create. So to really providing the information and and really being the, the, um, the microscope, if you like, into understanding those processes. The second part is IT itself, of course, is is growing. We have massive data centers all over the world, and those data centers, you know, have a, a an impact on on the environment, and we need to understand what that level of impact is, um, and 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 so, how does IT itself reduce its carbon footprint is a big topic. 
So to help in that space, what we're trying to do through the BCS is provide practical guidance and provide some of those insights. So you know, one of the statistics I always remember is um, when you think about the amount of um, carbon impact that AI has alone, then that is doubling every three months. Yes, it's a fraction of what it what it what it uh, yeah the total pollution we have, but it's still growing very very fast. Um, and so, at some point, it's become a very very big issue. So, we're providing practical guidance to professionals on the kind of best practices and the ways in which they can contribute to that. And we refer to that as responsible computing. So that provides a complete framework and skills and and, and training roadmap for individuals who want to understand their role in contributing to um, making the world a better place. Brilliant. Well, let's meet our second guest for today. And that is Annette Allmark, who is the Director of Learning and Development at BCS. So Annette, the same first question to you. How did you get the skills to do your current job? What was your path that led you to doing what you do now? And what do you do now? I've had a a long career in um, skills and education, but particularly around workplace skills. Particularly, I've focused on apprenticeships for a number of years. And um, I've had a really deep insight into the changing um, skills that employers are looking for. And um, they certainly, particularly over the last few years where we've seen real changes to how people have had to work, employers are looking for different skills and different capabilities. So my career has been very much involved with a number of different sectors and more recently in the IT sector over the last four years as well. Um, And it's been fascinating to see how skills have developed, how qualifications and programs to meet those skills and labour markets demands have progressed and developed as well. And what differences are you seeing in people that are coming into IT now? Because really, it's not just a new generation. It's it's kind of across all the ages, and I'm sure we'll discuss that. But what, what are you seeing that is different about the people who are coming in now? And, and what, especially their interest in sustainability and climate issues. How's all that changing? Well, I, I think, first of all, it's important to put it into context of people coming in, because sustainable issues is one thing that's amongst a, a number of different... And, and, what have has been challenges, particularly in recent times, that um, new talents having to deal with, um, and whether that be the way they're working at home, um, they've, they've been through a level of isolation, um, needing to have a, a sort of certain way of working in terms of maybe limited contact time with people. So there's been challenges, and we, we've seen sort of impacts on what that means for individuals. Whether that means you know we've seen a, a greater level, for instance, of mental health. Um, issues, emotional well-being, which is really important. And that sort of things like sustainable issues is another, you know, it's a big challenging sort of area. I think the the really encouraging thing and really hopeful thing is that um, as we see that, talent coming through, they're also very passionate. They know what they, you know, they have very strong views on sort of where they want to make things better. They're looking for organisations who have a real commitment to um, corporate social responsibility. They ask questions about that. They want to be involved in that and they want to have a voice. And what's really important to them in in terms of talent coming through is that they're very action-based. They don't just want to hear it. They really want to see it and that people are actually walking the talk and and, and doing what um, they're saying they're doing. So um, seeing some really good examples, you know, if you take 
apprenticeships and I'm going to talk about those because <laughs> I'm a champion for apprenticeships at BCS. Um, it's amazing. They're life-changing for some people in terms of, um, first of all, enabling them to be able to achieve skills um, in IT and tech, which will enable them to do things around you know, sustainable issues. But I think what's really important when we're talking about the changes we're seeing in the people coming through, it's also the opportunities that are there for people to come through in, in programmes where actually they probably never thought that they could achieve and possess the skills to help them deal with sustainable matters through technology. But there are programmes out there like apprenticeships that are enabling that to happen. Net Zero, a digital journey. This episode is sponsored by Electronics and Computer Science at the University of Southampton. Electronics and Computer Science at the University of Southampton seeks to develop research and education to advance science and engineering for a world facing significant challenges. You can learn more about their work on our digital series website, netzerodigital.bcs.org forward slash UK. Net Zero. A digital journey. How does it work with getting, because of course, I mean, we can talk about the skills you give to people and people having apprenticeships, but first of all, you have to find some people somewhere who want to do that thing. You have to find some people who, who want to be attracted to the IT sector. And and how does that work now, especially with sustainability? Because IT, I guess there's kind of two, there's, you know, this is very oversimplified, but there's perhaps two ways of looking at it. And one is that it's the big bad tech, you know, Google kind of taking everyone's data or, you know, these perceptions in society about big tech companies and what they do. And the other idea about it is it's kind of behind, it's going to be everything. It's going to be behind everything. So how do you get people interested in wanting, if they're interested in climate or sustainability, is there any barriers to getting them interested in the IT sector or are they just kind of finding their way there anyway? I think there's a, a real perception piece here in terms of how people think of IT and, and who is typically, you know, attracted to IT. And I think that's where, you know, we all play a part and have that responsibility to um, change that perception. If, for example, you look at the, you know, we look at diversity, we need a diverse talent pipeline coming into the sector. Um, and if we start breaking it down, it's just, it's not just a gender issue. We, we you've mentioned already, there's, you know, not enough people over 50 in, in the um in tech professions but actually I think it's about how we put across those opportunities that it's not just all tech roles which are in tech companies but it's you know people who work in um, IT and digital make huge societal impacts and I think it's by demonstrating what those are um, sustainable issues but also you know the, the things that people do in science in in the you know I hear a number of employers say people don't realize what the opportunities are for instance in the NHS um, in, in a number of different fields and I think it's about um, really putting across showcasing um, and providing those case studies of what people through IT and technology and being skilled in those areas have been able to achieve. Um, I mentioned life-changing and for some people that is life-changing but they are also changing lives through what they're doing and I think the more we can get that across, more that we can get across that this isn't just for, you know, we, we have 23% uh, um 
female population in the IT profession, that this isn't just a profession for females. We, we need to ensure that that diversity and that access is constantly sh um, showcased in terms of what can be done and how to get there as well. And, you know, there are a number of ways of doing that and a number of different routes into the profession. And um, Rashik, what, how much willingness do you see for the IT sector to change itself? Because, you know, there are these, there's always this question with diversity. Is, 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 it, is it the job to change the people coming in somehow? Or is it the job of an organisation to change itself so it's a comfortable place for these people who might feel excluded? Do you see that the IT sector is willing to change itself and its working practices in order to make itself a good place to be for, for this new talent that's coming in? Yeah, I, I think as, it, as we look at the, um, uh, the, the professionals out there, they're all there. You know, no, nobody gets up to go and do a bad job in that sense, right? So everybody's there to do the best they can in their employment. So I think the professionals themselves all want to contribute to both helping use IT to improve people's lives and, and, and make the world a better place, at the same time, they want to do that in a responsible way. Um, and, and so they want to really look at practical and, and they're looking for practical ways in which um, they can reduce the environmental impact of the IT they produce. Um, so, so I think as long as we are helping them understand the ways in which they can make a difference, um, and, and so as I mentioned before, responsible computing actually provides a framework where you can start to say, what's a responsible data center look like? What's the best practice around the data center? What does responsible code look like? How do I think about all the aspects of my coding so that I, I reduce the environmental impact? What does responsible data use look like? That's a that's a massive topic as well. And that 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 really yeah, understanding whether we're capturing the right amount of data um, and, and and ensuring that we we steward the use of that data in the right way are, are key issues. But of course, one of the other problems here, of course, isn't just the professionals, it's also society at large. Um, so when you think about the demand for consumer IT, it seems to be insatiable. And you have to ask yourself, do we need to capture dozens of HD pictures and store them forever? Um, and then do we need to apply AI algorithms there to identify who the face was or where it was taken or or aspects of the, the, those pictures? That's That's just constant um, kind of usage of, of, of uh, different forms of technology, of, of energy and so on. Got to ask ourselves, is that the really needed? Um, and do we need to change consumer behaviours around use of technology, making them more aware of, um, of the environmental impact of how they're using their consumer technologies? So I think there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum of things right from the professionals through to the consumers and, and we need a, a a spectrum of solutions to address all of those issues. And what sort of places do people get that? And I guess it could either be training or it could be exposure to an environment where things are done differently because, you know, you've just gone through a huge long list of different things to think about, you know, if you want to if you're in the IT sector and you want to be more responsible for, you know, in, in the climate space, how do you even start? So say you're, you know, you're an IT professional, you're sort of, you've just heard that list, you go, oh, that sounds very good. What do you do about it? Like what's available at the moment? To, where can you learn? Where can you find help with all of this? Yeah, yeah. so there's two, two places that I will, and, and there's many others, but two that I would highly recommend. The first one is obviously come to the BCS because 
um, we have a, um, a specialist group focused on um, on on uh, green technologies and and they share and constantly evolve because this again this is a uh, an evolving field so it's not a once and done so you can come to their seminars their um, their their events that they run so they can learn from them also there's a great place which is responsiblecomputing.net so this is a uh, an OMG an open uh, forum where the best practices are available and again they put on a range of um, training and uh, and seminars and so on. Um, and there is a curriculum. There are there are also um, many of the universities now have um, green computing curricula that you can go through, which takes you through the whole of that that structure. So there's plenty out there. Um, and from a from a kind of consumer perspective, um, there's a growing movement on raising digital literacy so that that individuals can can start to understand um, how they can play their part in reducing the environment. So so it's not just um, the professionals, there's there's work being done to make individuals more aware of some of those um, opportunities for themselves as well. And Annette, when it comes to sort of things like apprenticeships and, and incentivizing companies to take on apprentices, do, do you encourage companies to kind of build all this into apprenticeships or, or does that come later or somewhere else? How do we integrate all of this stuff into the training for, for new people coming in? Yeah, that's very much being done um, and on a much wider scale than um, only for um, IT and digital. So that, you know, the government's very focused on ensuring that um, green, the green agenda is embedded within technical education. In fact, they've created a framework to ensure that happens. So um, as apprenticeships are being developed, there is a, a sort of a, a focus on making sure that an aspect of it is considering how, you know, what does this actually mean for that occupation and how do we make sure that the individual has the skills that they can take into the workplace. So for IT and digital apprenticeships, you know, that's very relevant. You look at data, you know, our data apprenticeship is, is key to that area of sort of how, how can we keep data efficient so you know that's being done on a on a wide scale but also through because you know an apprenticeship is at the start it's that continuous learning and development so for example some of the things that we do at BCS um, and Rashik's referred to them some of those continuous professional development of what does this mean for my role now? Because nothing stops and stays still, does it? It continues. So, for example, we've had some really great immersive events, which are um, for our members where they can come in. We'll, we will look at different situations and a bit of the what if, things that maybe we're not even dealing with at the moment, but we can see coming down the line. And what are the skills and how do we deal with that? So, you know, the apprenticeship um, piece and all of technical education. You may have heard of the government's T levels, which are um, the alternative um, technical route instead of A levels, which are, are sort of starting to prove popular. Looking at how do we embed that sort of requirement to understand sustainability and what does it mean when then somebody takes it to that next step of their career progression? How does it work with sort of because there's a thing there's a thing that goes alongside this I guess which is sort of professionalization of IT you know I mean in all professions there's much more focus on training than there used to be right you know it's 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 not just that you sort of turn up you've done a job for 30 years and you can probably still do it you know there's this there's a much more the the, the language now is very different we talk about skills we talk about you know we talk about all of this differently 
But all of that, of course, if you add things into the, you know, the, if it costs money for companies to train their workforce, it's a long-term project. So how do we, how do we, especially in the climate sector, how do we incentivize companies to to really invest in that training in the short term because this is urgent and it's now when there's all these other, you know, there's supply chain problems and all of these other things. So how do we get companies to really invest in in this? Rashid, perhaps first. With all of these things, there's a there's a kind of juxtaposition of um, leveraging digitization to improve the business. Right, we we understand the business case for that by by applying digitization, we can increase profit productivity. Increasing productivity reduces costs, and therefore we improve the you know improve the sale of our products and and so on. at the same time we also speed up the business. Right, so um, you know today for example I met with Annette. Annette is in Swindon. I'm in Leeds. I didn't travel down to meet with her. I didn't. I didn't meet her through Teams. I met her through a robot, right? Because we have a robot in the Swindon office in in um, the BCS, and I can literally walk around our head office and go meet with her. Uh, just d- describe this robot to us. You can't just drop that in. <laughs> describe this robot, so, it, <laughs> so we all have a mental um, image. So, so if you imagine a, um, a an iPad with wheels, which I can remote control. And it has two cameras. It has a camera pointing forward and a camera pointing downwards. So as you're driving along, you can see where you're driving. So you're not going to bump into things. And I can control that robot from from Leeds. And by the way, I've done this uh, right around the world. So um, I, I joined a conference in Vancouver whilst being in Leeds. Now, that meant that I didn't have to have, for the Vancouver trip, a 20-hour set of flights. I didn't create that carbon footprint from my flying. But I w- it's not the same as just going on Teams. It's actually being there in person, right? It's a very different experience. Um, and, and you can move the robot around so you can see different people. So it's, it's like as if you are actually there as a person. Um, the experience from, from me is, is quite different uh, compared to, again, a Teams meeting because it's not a static interface. Um, so that's one example of where that reduces a carbon footprint, the, the, the carbon footprint of me using that on, on Teams is much less than me taking a train journey or driving down to Swindon or flying to Vancouver. But at the same time, it means that I could go to multiple places. If there's multiple robots like that, I could actually go and have meetings. And, and after the meeting with Annette, I then drove around different parts of the office and I went and meet some of the colleagues, had a quick chat about things, and then could go and park the robot. That's a real practical example of where applying digitization reduces the environmental impact, reduces cost because I didn't pay for that train journey. We paid for that robot once and we used multiple times and it changes the experience of the individual on both sides. So, so there's, there's many of those kind of things that we can do. And by thinking about the digitization and thinking about using the technology to solve real societal issues, we can make a difference. And then you might say, well, so what, what should an individual do? Just come up with these bright ideas? Well, actually, there's more than that. Part of responsible computing, there is a manifesto there that's created. The first thing that an organization or individual should do is understand that manifesto and sign up to it. Adopt those principles. You know, Think about holistically contributing to the success of the UN SDGs and the ESG concerns. Think about inclusiveness. Think about how you introduce circularity in your your ways of using technologies and modular reuse. Think about openness. So there's a whole bunch of principles and a set of guidance, which is really practical that 
at people at all levels of their professionalism can use. And, and that's what we're urging people to do. So think about, go, go and understand from responsible computing that, that manifesto, sign up to it and adopt that in your daily life as an organization or as a business. And by the way, that should be tremendously valuable to your clients. If the clients see you as adopting this, the research says that you're more likely to do business with you. So it makes good business sense. It's good for the environment, good for you and good for the planet. So basically, it, it, it works for everything. That's what you're saying. Um, Annette, what's your perception of this, getting companies to invest in training specifically for climate stuff? Because it's all very nice, but then when things are squeezed, does it survive the cut, basically? Does it make the cut? You know? and, and that's often the problem, isn't it? Because that's where, you know, where things are squeezed, and especially at the moment where um, the, the sort of cost of running an organisation is at an all-time high. You can, you know, you have that challenge. I think, though, with, uh, and, and this is, you know, our experience and insights of working with employers, you know, they have a, a need, you know, they, they've got challenges relating to sustainable issues and um, working in, a, in an environmentally um, efficient way. They need the skills to do that. So at the same time, they know that they have a really, you know, we're in a strong employment market at the moment and they've got a real need all round for a talent pipeline to come in to continuously meet not only the need now that they have, but moving forward. So I think, you know, there's a number of employers, large businesses and smaller micro who have successfully employed, for example, apprentices and apprenticeships aren't the only route, but have seen the return of in, on investment in those and actually, with the amount of challenges that they have ahead of them and they're currently dealing with now and those, you know, the requirement to be more sustainable and because they should be and want to be, actually seeing how they need the skilled people to go along with that, I think, supports the in continuous investment. Um, obviously, it's challenging, but I think what's important in terms of helping employers continue down that path, continue seeing the value, is making sure that the qualifications and the programmes are relevant and have an ongoing value to them. As I said just now, there's no use an employer having one answer, solution to one thing. They need to see how their whole, you know, where their strategy is going and where their, you know, environmental pledges are, that they have a, a talent strategy alongside that, that will enable them to continuously meet their need. And, you know, that's really at BCS what we try to do, say, right, this is a big picture thing. You know, we start off right at the beginning. We have our computing in school with barefoot resources, looking at with children at climate, you know, at the climate and uh, from that side of things. And actually, employers who invest right from that stage in getting to school support and then we go back to the perception piece of actually bringing talent in they're doing that because they can see that's going to support their businesses through those um, demands whether it be sustainable demands or in other areas too so I think it really is that return on investment and that whole piece of looking at an organization strategy what they need to achieve and having that real open mind in terms of how can I invest into skills and people because it is only through people that organizations can succeed um, to actually take them to where they they need to go to and how I can imagine, you know, an employer perhaps looking at some of this and perhaps looking at different options available for training and wondering about the quality because, you know, things are changing very quickly. People's attitudes, to, you know, the things that need to be taught are changing very quickly. So it's not like, you know, 
A-level maths probably changes very slowly over time. Everyone knows what an A-level in maths is. It's an understood quantity. It's kind of got guaranteed quality. So how does it work with... Um, you know, sort of certifying courses because what we're seeing in a lot of areas is is kind of a, a version of greenwashing, right? It's very popular. Everyone wants to be doing this kind of thing. So they just do a thing and you can't really tell whether the people offering this thing have any expertise or whether they're just jumping on the bandwagon. And especially because this is moving so quickly, it seems that might be a hard problem. So what what are the quality, are there any quality assurances available at the moment? How do people know that what the, the training they're paying for is actually really, you know, good quality training? There's different sort of things that are providing that support and assurance. So if we, breaking it up slightly, if we look in terms of publicly available programmes, there's a quality framework around those and um, I think a key thing to point out, um, especially for um, listeners who are less familiar with something like apprenticeships, that these aren't just things that are done in a back room by people who don't really know, you know much about the area. Apprenticeships are created by employers for employers to be relevant now and have a very firm quality framework set around them with Ofsted and Ofqual and any, like any other qualification. So technical education is making sure, one, that it's meet, you know, it's in line with what the public um, expect and the consumer expects through the right regulation, but it's relevant because it has commercial um, employers and other organisations who understand what's needed in the workplace. In terms of what BCS does and, and how we support that quality, well, I mean, all of my members work to a code of conduct as a sort of foundation. But then we do that in other ways. How, how do we make sure that that CPD is still kept up to date and relevant? And we do that through registration. So we have the you know chartered status and, and ways of saying, how do we know? And we use something called the SPHERE framework, which measures where somebody is in terms of a benchmark of their competence. How do we know that somebody's maintaining that level and where's the quality there? And those professionals that are registered are revalidated so that their competence is constantly checked um, to make sure, yes, it is up to date, it is current and relevant. And then something that's been, you know, we, we've always had accreditation recognising university courses and, and higher education programmes. But it, it's great to see, and, and I think this is really encouraging, that employers also want to be um, clear that they have that quality benchmark. So we have organisations coming us, to us to say, can you accredit our programmes? Can you, can you put your stamp on it to say, actually, yes, we're an employer and we're doing this training um, and sustainable matters are really important to them because... Rashid just mentioned, that's absolutely critical for the customers and the consumers. So actually, we can do that as well. So there's different frameworks. So the important thing is that they're consistent. And um, we always work very closely and, um, you know, do as much as we can to support what the government's doing, because we want to work around a consistent framework where actually employees and individuals don't go, well, what's, what's quality to one person? Is that quality to another? It needs to be consistent to really be meaningful. And that's what we're aiming for at BCS. 
And Rashik, do you have a, a comment on the not just the quality, but the potential for greenwashing? This, you know, how do we tell? How do we know whether are you so, are you seeing this problem? I guess that you know people are making all these claims, and somehow, first of all, you, someone needs the training to differentiate between what really is something that's helpful for the climate and something that isn't, and and then people making claims about you know, how how do we deal this? Everything's changing so quickly. How do we deal with this problem? Yeah, and it comes back to as as Annette said, just helping people develop their own critical thinking skills as well. Right, so. Yeah, you've got to look at the evidence that people provide. You've got to look at the practicality of doing what they're suggesting. Yeah, is the greenwashing going on? Uh, th- there's going to be some element of that. I think most people see this as such an important issue for mankind that they're trying to do the right thing. Um, and, and so generally, I see most people trying to understand this. Uh, and I think there is a lack of real knowledge and and expertise, which means that as people progress and do these things, um, they're learning. And and as you learn, you realize that some of the things you did before weren't quite as good as you could do now. It's not a bad thing. People are trying to do the best they can based on what they know at this moment in time. Um, And and so I think having um, expert groups that come together like the uh, the green IT group in the BCS, like the Responsible Computing Initiative, you you have the best expertise collaborating, consolidating that learning and sharing it in a practical way to help everybody's skills improve. Um, there's also the need to have standards. There's a role that governance needs to play in defining those standards. Um, you know, because if if I say my carbon footprint X is, is X today, the way in which I measure that is slightly different from the way somebody else measures it. So there is work going on to try and help define a consistent metric so we can really do comparisons. Um, you know, Could I, for example, today put a, um, a an energy rating on a mobile phone? The answer is I can't do that today because there's no consistent metric for me to go do that. When I go and buy a new washing machine, I can see the energy banding is an A, B, C, or D, and I can I, that will influence my choices. In a lot of the consumer technology, those kind of bandings aren't available there. So there's work to be done to create those standards in a consistent way to then influence and nudge the, the consumer behavior as well. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, the good news is I can see people getting behind doing that work and creating those consistent standards. Uh, and, and the kind of responsible computing overall is, is driving and influencing a lot of that work. I mean, that's the great thing is that people are taking the problem seriously. That's the first hurdle to get over. We are nearly out of time, but I just wondered from each of you what your sort of key, you know, if you could um, if you could put a message on a T-shirt to the IT sector about all of this stuff or, you know, the, the, what are the things that you kind of find yourself like grabbing people at parties and you have to, you know, you must know this. What are the, what are the messages that really need to get out there about training, you know, specifically in the IT sector with with climate and net zero in mind? Uh, Annette first. I think um, it's to um, be very open-minded of the different routes um, that can get you involved because there are so many and to get in, to actually do that, get involved and, and, and be part of that conversation. Um, BCS has so many, um, if you come onto our website, blogs, webinars, groups, special interest groups. We have an amazing group that's just um, been um, created through our influence board where um, together 
a group is trying to address digital poverty and that you know the more people we have who understand sort of have that opportunity to access digital skills where could it go they could be thinking of the next sort of changing climate so get involved and one small thing if everyone does one small thing it can make some really great things happen um and and you know it's a i think the other thing to say is it's an ongoing process because when we've done our one small thing we then need to do one more small thing um and it's it's you know we can really make an impact so get involved in one way or another Brilliant. And messages to the IT sector on this, Rashik. Yeah, so I have uh, two very simple messages, right? One is um, sign up for the Responsible Computing Manifesto um, and make sure you understand it. And, and the second thing is, as you go about your journey in, in creating technologies and you find best practices, do share them because what you may have learned will help somebody else not have to relearn that and help them uh, improve the use of technology and, and reduce a carbon impact. So, so two things, you know, sign up for the manifesto and share what you've learned. Brilliant. That is a great place to finish, which is just as well, because that's all we've got time for. So huge thanks to our two guests for today, Rashik Palmer and Annette Allmark. Do look out for all the other podcasts in these series. We've covered lots of things on this topic of how the IT sector can contribute to a net zero world. And that's it for this series. I'm Helen Chersky, and you've been listening to Net Zero, A Digital Journey. Thanks to the sponsor of this episode, Electronics and Computer Science at the University of Southampton. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Net Zero, A Digital Journey series by going to netzerodigital.bcs.org forward slash UK or simply searching for hashtag netzerodigital on social media. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on socials to check out more of our podcast collaborations.